don't trial your dog if your dog's not ready. I see a lot of people, like, if you're second-guessing yourself, and that's that's normal if you're competing. And, and this, people around you should tell you, too, when you're not ready to trial. Because I see a lot of people that go in and they're just hoping that the dog succeeds or hoping that they can just, like, pull through. If I'm going to do a trial, I'm going to be make sure my dog's at 100% or at least as close as possible to get to get there and if they're not i'm okay with not competing a lot of right. people throw their dogs in there too early and they know it's too early but they just want to see if they can yep. wing it and then you end up creating a lot more problems with the dog Let's if they fell in trouble go and get it with no hesitation this that never quit start that elevation this that process what is up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Elevated Canine Podcast, and I am here with my co-host, Roel Guerra, and today we got my brother, Chris Sykes, Chris Sykes who he might just become a, a regular face you see on this podcast. I, I, in my opinion, he has a lot to add, and so we might just bring him in for every single podcast if he has the time. But uh, anyways, so we've been away for a little bit. As you guys can see, we have a, well, I don't know if you guys can see it. We're not done yet, but it's a new spot. It's a new area where we're doing our podcast. We got a, a location here in, this, in the city of Upland, California. And this is our first one back. So thank you guys for joining us. Chris, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. You doing great? Yes, sir. It's What's new? Day. Anything new? You look nervous. Uh, I just don't know what to talk about yet. I'm sure <laughs> well, we don't have nothing to talk about yet, but we'll, we'll get into it. Royal, how you been, bro? Been well. Well, any, anything new, Royal? What you got going on? Uh, nothing really. Just I'm glad finally we're in the new spot, finally uh, able to record another episode. I've been getting hit up by so many people. I've already watched the all of your episodes three times. When the next one's coming out? Well, here it is. Today we're just going to be bullshitting. Nothing really too specific. Too formal, yeah. You know, uh, just have some fun today. Yep, yep. What's up with you, man? What what dogs are you are you going to be working with right now? What? Uh, just Q and Player P. You know what? So Q is a pit bull. How old is he? He's about maybe a year and a half. So Q is a year and a half, and player is? Almost four. All right. Now, I'm going to ask you this. What is the biggest difference when training a pit bull compared to a Malinois? That's good. Um, <laughs> pit bulls, I feel like, well the, well, the main difference between the pit bulls, depending on the pit bull you get in Malinois, is the Malinois are a lot uh heavier on like prey drive and pit bulls i feel like you have to bring out the drive and build up the drive i feel like it takes a lot longer to build that drive um depending on the dog you have so if you have like a slower pit bull you have to develop them the correct way but the drive can still be there if you know how to access it and uh versus like a malinois they're like pretty much born with the prey drive and they're high high prey so it's a lot easier to to get the malinois to kind of like move and follow lures versus like getting a pit bull to stay interested in like an item or a toy that you have and then it's different when you put a decoy in front of a pit bull because right. the drive is out of the roof uh, right. when it comes to that so so let me ask you this if somebody out there is having trouble bringing out drive in their in their pit bull or their bully what is one way that because I, I have a few things that I would do differently. What are a few things that you would do differently to bring out some of that drive? What I do is I tie out the dog. So I tie out and build frustration, but I don't just do it with the decoy. I also do it with, like, uh, a ball. So I might frustrate him with the ball, get him super hyped up, go behind him, like, on the tie out, unleash him, and then build his drive towards the ball, and then grab the ball, and then maybe start doing his obedience with that. So through a lot more, like, frustration. Yeah, a lot more frustration. I feel like... The times that I've that I've worked with with dogs like that, I feel like if you bring a little bit more of a fight to it, 
that it brings a little more drive into it. For example, if I'm agitating a pit bull and I'm trying to get them to turn on, if I'm just like moving the rag around, they're not really into it. But if, if I like smack them with it on the side, you know, on his, on his shoulder or something, it brings out like a little bit more fight. And that kind of brings out the dog a little bit more. Is that something? Oh, yeah. That's huge. That's huge. Because if it's not a challenge, they, don't, they just don't care to play. Which is why I think when it comes to a decoy being, being in front of them, it's like a lot more fire behind it because they believe it's an actual fight right. versus like a certain toy. So something that Jalen put me onto was like the Kong balls. So the Kong ball is like a lot harder to grip for the dogs. It's bigger, so it's like a mouthful for them versus like a regular ball or a regular tug. It was just no self-enjoyment in that until we like went to something that I personally thought was too big for him or you know too strong for his grip. Once it was more challenging for him, it just brought out so much drive. And then he was actually like willing to bite hard and like hold on. So the frustration of not being able to created more drive. Oh in the yeah, dog. Big yeah time. this is for Q. Yeah, this is for Q. Oh. Got it. What about you, Ro? You got a pit bull, and you got a Roddy, too, now. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Lila was the first dog that I learned on. Yeah. And I'm learning with still. So, you know, obviously, if, if I could start over again, I would do things different. First, I mean, you saw her when she was at four months old. Yeah. And from four months till 11 months, you said, no bite work, let's just do obedience. And then she had her second session at 11 months, and she was still crazy. Yeah. Crazy for the bite. Um, but with her, I haven't tried the Kong yet. I, I something def, that's something I'll try but if there's a decoy in front of her she doesn't really care for food and she doesn't really care for the toy at all all she likes like you said is the fight she wants to fight yeah all she, she, wants she to likes to bite fight, um, so. I, I, I remember I saw her and I was like yeah she's definitely got it and I could see the problem uh, I mean I could see a problem coming to us if we all we did was bite work so I was like yeah, yeah we should probably not do so much with her yeah so but anyways um, yeah so that's the difference between, you feel, the, the, the pit bull and the Malinois, right? Yeah. All right. So, I, you know, we didn't have really a subject to go on today. So, I was like, you know, I asked online and I think we got a really good question and, or a subject that we could dive into. Chris, I think, what was the, the Canine Street League, was that your first trial or is that yeah, your? Yeah, that was my first trial. Your, cool. We could go at this from a, a new, a first time trialing standpoint of view and somebody who's done it more than a few times, like myself. Roel has gone into the trial field once as well. What was something, what was something that you felt like from day, because you trial two days, right? Yeah. Uh, what was something that you felt was like part of your routine or anything that you changed coming into trial or something that messed you up that you felt like I should have never changed this going into trial? Or do you or you do you think that you did everything correct the way you should have done? It? I felt pretty uh, I felt pretty clean actually going into the trial. I was like super confident. It all just came together. But something I did change which was the first saver, pairing the first saver and the e-collar. Right. That was huge, something you showed me. So just getting the dog to believe that the first, first saver is the e-collar helped me a lot. But even, let's, let's say before that, like even practicing for trial and prepping for trial, it's like making sure you fix every single mistake before you even step on the field. So right. it's the way the dog comes out of the car. It's the way you put the leash on the dog, how you're clipping the leash. If the dog's control went, like, from the very first movement, the dog has to be controlled, or the dog thinks he can just kind of basically do what he wants coming out. So for me, it was, like, structure, 
from beginning to end and then seeing mistakes in handling and not just the dog. So the way I position my body, the way I'm holding the leash, how the dog reacts to all of that, like from dropping the leash on the floor and having to pick the leash up to see where the dog's at, if he's staying in position or if he's dropping down with me, kind of like right. confused. So I think every little detail kind of mattered to me going into it. Yeah, I mean, it helped that you've been in the... So uh, Chris does, uh, you know, MMA fighting and he's done, you know, he's a... Pro- professional fighter he's done a couple fights so he's been in that stage where people are watching do you think that helped you coming into that or oh yeah big time big time yeah right uh i i feel like uh i mean now looking back to the first times i trialed uh to, to now i just feel like well first of all i prep differently for my first times the whole picture from my training to the trial field changed for my dog meaning i didn't have the toy i didn't have the food that i would normally have i didn't have my cues that I would give with my with my mouth like or that type of stuff you I just didn't have that in the trial field and I and then I remember my dog just like I don't know if it was you know he could sense that things were just completely different well things were completely different compared to how I trained and so I had a complete different dog the day of the trial that was with my Corso with uh, Slater this was back in I don't know 20 2013 or something like that looking back at it now I feel well now what I feel is that when I approach my training, I always have in the back of my head trial and how I'm gonna, you know, how I'm gonna present the day of the trial. So I have a routine that I would probably do at my car before I even go into the field. Now, club trials compared to regionals or nationals, and I've only done one national. I've done a, a more than a few regionals, but I've only done one national. But it's completely different. A, a trial club trial compared to a a national trial those are two different things and because at a national trial well first of all there's probably going to be a lot more people uh there's going to be a lot more waiting around there's going to be a lot more uh maybe waiting at the start line or you know and all that all that comes into play and so depending on the sport that you're playing you have to prep for that if you're going to be traveling with your dog you have to do that with your dog before you step into the trial field like that is a important piece of the puzzle when it comes to trialing if you are gonna trial somewhere like my first regional was in arizona and i thought i had it in the bag you know and i was like this this is is gonna be easy i thought well i first of all i didn't track enough to you know to really so my dog failed tracking and then he got diarrhea for i don't know what it was but he got diarrhea so he got sick and we were just not used to it. We were just not used to trialing at, you know, and traveling. And so that is another thing to the puzzle that you have to add before you're going to trial. You got to get the, into that. But most importantly, I would say you have to have rituals with your dog before stepping into your training field. Not trial field, your training field. Because those same rituals are going to be used when you go into your trial. And you want to make sure that it is not so foreign to the dog. Right, so you're referencing the moment from you, the dog comes out of your van in between then and stepping onto the trial field, you have a ritual. A thousand percent. I mean, even to how you break your dog to go potty before you go into the trial field. Like, some people will go break the dog and then put them in and then bring them out to train. And that's, and that's what they do all the time. But then in the trial, they'll probably bring the dog out like five times just because they're nervous and the dog's not used to that. Now, so now you threw something different at your dog and that little piece could probably change the way that your dog is acting because 
sometimes in training, what we do is we'll bring the dog out for obedience, put him up, bring him out for protection. Yeah. So you, by the t- second or third time that you bring out your dog, he's like, hey, we're going to do some protection. And you could lose your dog there before you even start. Do you think it's important to, like you said, like we'll, we'll, run, through, we'll run all the dogs through obedience and then we'll run all the dogs through protection. During trial, is it always going to be that way? Or is there some points where it's obedience and then you put it away and then the protection as well? For, uh, you know, IGP, PSA, you're always going to have separate, you know, protection and obedience. Um, for ring sport, you want to make sure that you go in there and the dog gets somewhat used to the picture of the like, entire- I'm going to do some obedience and then I'm going to go into some bite work. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to have that, that sort of picture for the dog right. because it's never going to happen where you do your obedience and you put them up and you bring them out for protection in trial for ring sports. For IGP, yeah, you're going to separate your obedience from your protection. And there's going to be certain cues you're going to give your dog before protection and before obedience. So those rituals are before tracking as well. All those rituals, you got to think about them and make sure you're super consistent with them so that, again, your dog is not lost when you get into the trial field. Yeah. I think something else that's important to you is, is to, during trial, um, like this happened to Chris at Canine Street League, where... A bunch of contestants um, got disqualified for something, and then his pre-trial routine, which is like 10 minutes long maybe, five, 10 minutes long. <laughs> Who was this? This is at Canine Street. Oh, yeah. Where he was, you know, I don't, I don't know if maybe you lost track of time or you didn't realize that the time, was, the time you had wasn't as much as you were expecting. But Chris still was like, all right, I'll bring him out now, but I'm still going to do my routine. So what, what would you say to other people who are going to trial, what if the time doesn't allow for your pre-trial routine? I don't step out until I'm ready. Yeah. It doesn't matter. If my dog's not ready, I'm not setting them up for failure. If I'm late or, which they didn't come get me, I was waiting. <laughs> but if I'm late on the field and my dog's not ready, I'm not going out there because I'm not going to miss a chance or, or take a chance and mess his full routine up and yep. lose points and possibly not place. Just because I'm not ready, it's like, okay, if I get deducted already, then I'll take, I'll eat that, but I'm going to make sure I can still go out there and perform yep. well with him. Yeah, I, th- I think it, it depends on the competition, right? Like, if you're at a national competition and you're taking too long, I mean, they might even yeah. just X you out. And would you say that's better for your dog, that, it didn't, that you didn't set it up for failure because something changed? Or Yeah, I mean, I think uh, for sure I, I would still do my trial prep. I'll do everything the way I have to do it. And if yeah. I don't do it okay. and I get cut, it is what it is. But, I mean, yeah, I definitely. But I think people don't even – they're just so in their head and they're so nervous themselves that they just forget everything of how they normally do things. And that's what happened to me. I mean, I was just so scared. <laughs> so scared. I almost pulled out. Like, I was like, Oscar, I'm going to pull out. She's not acting right. Well, it's because – well, I, I didn't even know it at the time, but you're right. I brought her out like three or four times, and she, was, she had no idea what was going on. It was 103 degrees that day. She felt the ground. After the third time, she was like, well, I'm not going to lay down on this. Yep. And everything just changed. Everything changes on trial day for sure. Yep. Um, and so- the, uh, another thing for, like, uh, for new, new uh, people that are going to trial for the first time, make sure that you train with a bunch of people, you know, around and do all that stuff because sometimes your dog's not used to it yeah. and it's a complete different picture when you go there. Another thing is make sure that, your dog is in the right state of mind before because i mean they might be looking all over the place and everything and it starts bad and it just gets worse from there it's not going to get better so 
me personally, if I see that my dog is just not like, for example, if I went into the trial field and my dog is just not there, he's looking for the decoy and he's just I just can't get a hold of him. I'll probably just pull. I'll be like, why? Because the dogs are very dogs are very smart and very fast. They learn. Oh, this is a trial. This is not a trial. Oh, I can act like this here. I can't act like this here. Yeah. So that's why it is very important to make sure that your dog is in the right state of mind. You have those rituals together so you can feel comfortable and confident when you step into the trial field. And when you have the opportunity, take them to the like where they have open fields for you to practice on the trial. That's a huge thing because uh, I remember taking my dog to the field uh, his first trial and he had no idea where he was. The same thing. He's like looking everywhere. He's interested in everything. And I felt like I had no control. So taking them to different places and how you can do like the day before you can take the dog and, and use that opportunity to train on the field is was huge for me. For a dog that's not used to it. Not every dog is going to be like that. You can take certain dogs out to new places and they might not care. But you got to think about it. There's going to be a big crowd there. There's people talking, cheering, whatever you want to say. Yep. It, it's a big distraction from a normal just everybody's quiet on the field and you're just doing practice yeah another mistake that i see is that people will go into the the trial field you know for like open field when it's not the trial but they'll go say the day before trial because sometimes they'll give you a they call it open field where you can go train on the on the grounds so to get your dog used to it a little bit right and one of the mistakes that i see people doing is they go and instead of training they act like it's a trial and they take all the equipment off the dog they do all that and and then now you just let the dog know, OK, you can get away with this here. You can get You know, instead of using that opportunity to be able to, you know, let your dog know, like, hey, you can't do that here. You know, you, you know, be able to correct your dog on there. You will literally take everything off your dog and go in there when it's not even a trial. So for me personally, I when I do open field, I do very uh, only a few things. Um, I don't go through a whole routine. I just do things where I feel I want my dog to remember. So that could be um, maybe like the long bite where the guy is coming out and he's going to be running towards him. And I'll work on a short one of that. You know what I'm saying? Of those. Or I'll even have the helper run all the way to him, pay him, and I'll, I'll end it on that. Or running the blinds. Like that's an important one because, you know, maybe the distance could be longer. So I'll run blinds. He'll come into a barking hole. I'll pull him out. And that's all I do with them. I don't do the whole routine and some people will do the whole routine with no equipment or anything in the open field i just for, for in my opinion that's a big mistake you know uh i remember uh, a guy that i was training with when i first started he would even do at open field he would use a bungee in open field because that's what the dog was used to and the only time that he didn't use the bungee was the day of the trial and you know and it worked it worked but if say he didn't use the bungee uh, uh, in in open field, and you know um, something would have happened where the dog got wigged out or something. That's it. Right. The next, I mean, you're you're done. You know, and some people will be like, well, I want to kind of see where my dog is at. That's the big thing. I want to see where my dog is at. I mean, you should see if your dog is having issues before you even step into the the trial field. But uh, anyways, that's my opinion. So you'd rather the dog kind of discover that? Oh, my my e collar is not on, or. Or maybe you start losing him during the trial versus you'd rather start losing him during the trial if you are going to lose him than lose him the day before the trial. Well, I think that if, you, if you're losing him the day before the trial and you can correct him for it, he's going to remember that. And he's going to remember that, that field. 
Got it, got it. So so he shouldn't be able to get away with whatever he wants to. Yeah, I mean, you, you're going to use it as an opportunity of training. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Right. While you're there. I think it's such a strong belief that they have it on that you can get away with it for sure. Yeah, that is how I would approach trial. You're going to make mistakes, but I remember seeing my first trial compared to my last one. I think I mentioned it in the podcast before, and I was horrible. So experience is going to be your best teacher anyways. So in conclusion, Chris, you got anything to add, bro? Don't trial your dog if your dog's not ready. I see a lot of people, like, if you're second-guessing yourself, and that's that's normal if you're competing, but... And this people around you should tell you, too, when you're not ready to trial. Because I see a lot of people that go in and they're just hoping that the dog succeeds or hoping that they can just, like, pull through. Uh, my whole thing with if I'm going to do a trial, I'm going to be make sure my dog's at 100% or at least as close as possible to get to get there. And if they're not, I'm okay with not competing. A lot of right. people throw their dogs in there too early and they know it's too early, but they just want to see if they can yep. wing it. And then you end up creating a lot more problems uh, with the dog if they fell in trial. So if the dog gets ran by, let's say, just something weird happens, the dog hasn't seen it before, and you know you probably should have practiced on that a lot longer before trial came. Um, if the dog sees it more than once or sees it on a trial field, he's going to remember that picture, and then you're going to have to deal with trying to fix that again. A thousand percent. And that's something that they might that you might not be able to fix. You know, It just it, it, it for sure affects the dog. Yep. And you know what? I mean, we all have um, standards of what we want from our dog and the level of, you know, some people just want to get a, they just want to get the titles and they're happy with it, you know, not having 100 points. That's cool. But don't be upset because of the work that you didn't put in that you, you know what I'm saying? Like a lot of people, oh, my dog just did this. Well, no. Well, if you really sit back and look at why your dog did that, you're going to realize that. One, you probably didn't put in the right reps or, you know, two, you you went too, you know, you went too fast or something and you, you skipped a couple steps and and they will come out in trial, you know, for sure. But um, anyways, guys, again, this is our first one back. We're going to keep it sweet and short and uh, make sure you guys check out the, the following podcast. We're excited to get this going again. All right, Chris, anything you got to say? Hopefully they have me back. Yeah, we'll have Chris back. We'll definitely have you back. Thanks for watching, guys. Don't forget to follow us on Elevated Canine Media. Then Oscar Mora. Oscar Mora Canines. Chris, where's, what's your handle? Psycho Sykes. And then mine's ECA Roel G on Instagram. And remember, guys, elevate your mind. Elevate your canines. Let's go. Let's get it. This that go and get it. With no hesitation. This that never quit. Start that elevation. This that process.